continuing with John 13, picking up in verse 12. When he'd washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. For so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Let's pray. Indeed, light of the world. Open our eyes this morning. We desperately need our eyes to be opened. Grant us ears as well to hear this morning. Help us to know the riches of your grace and your wisdom. Help us to believe what you say to us. Help us to do what you tell us to do, that we might build our lives upon the rock that is Christ himself. And so we ask that you would use this time, these meager words, to accomplish your great purposes in us this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In our confession of faith this morning, of course, we read the the hymn of humiliation and exaltation from Philippians chapter 2. And it's very important that we understand the doctrine that is taught in that passage. But in so doing, we also need to remember the reason why Paul gave them that hymn, or quoted from that hymn, we're not sure of its actual origin, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in the Scriptures, and it's the Word of God. And the reason that he gave this to them was this little phrase you see up ahead. May this mind or attitude that was in Christ Jesus be also in you. Paul gave them this heavily doctrinal statement in order to shape 
their life and their ministry. It was intended not just to so that we might adore Jesus, which we are to do, but also that we might be like Jesus, which we are called to do. That is the same thing that we find here in John 13. That is what we're going to uncover as we look at it this morning. It is not just that we receive ministry from Jesus unto our salvation, but also that we are to serve other people because we have received that salvation from Jesus. Our big idea is that Jesus' service is an example for our service. I might sound a little intense this morning. That's because I listened to a brother from Chattanooga who was full of passion. And maybe I caught some listening to him. God bless Kevin Smith. He had a good word for us at General Assembly. First off, we see that Jesus blesses our loving service. When Jesus was done washing their feet, and as one of the visitors mentioned to me on his way out the door, I left out something that I forgot to mention, although it was obvious, I thought, that he did not wash their feet with something else but with his own hands. So Jesus, who has washed their feet of whatever was on them after their journey to this house, puts his clothes back on, resumes his place, at the table and begins to explain his actions to his very stunned disciples. He asks this rather open-ended question to which it's most likely rhetorical because he gets no answer whatsoever but continues on, do you understand what I have done to you? When I was in middle school and high school, I was very good at answering the rhetorical question. (laughs) And finally, my history professor said, Steve, that was a rhetorical question. Jesus does not wait for them to answer, I imagine. He goes forward, explaining it to them precisely because they most likely did not understand what he had done to them. And so he adds to what he had already spoken to Peter. And he lays out this, that you also ought to wash one another's feet. But I left something out. Let us remember, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you do right in doing so. And reminds them, as I, your teacher or rabbi and Lord, have done to you, so you are also to do likewise. He's making an argument from the greater to the lesser. If his status is not an obstacle to washing their feet, our much lower status should not be an obstacle to washing feet. But in our pride, it often is. We sometimes think that we are above 
this ministry, so to speak, of washing feet. Or we'd much rather pay someone else to wash their feet. And if we're the ones with the dirty feet, I'm speaking metaphorically, not literally, sometimes in our pride, we put conditions, so to speak, on the help that we're willing to receive. It has to be in accordance with our will. And not necessarily in accordance with their capacity to serve us in a loving fashion. Brothers and sisters, just as his status was not an obstacle to service, neither should ours. I make this illustration at a risk because it makes me look good and that is not my point. A few months ago, we had a big old blockage in the sore line and everything was backing up through the drainage pipes. I didn't get on the phone and say, Deacon Boyer, come on down. You got mops to use. He was busy. I picked up the mop myself. I'm not above that. As a pastor, I can't say, well, I don't know, mopping floors that have been in, you know, within water that have been in the store, that's not in my job description. Sorry. Get Guy on the phone. Okay? We have to be set free from the notion that anything is beneath us. If we're there and we're available, and sometimes business prohibits us from being available, but I was here. I didn't have to go anywhere. So it made more sense for me to humble myself and do this service for everyone else. This, I think, is consistent with the Scriptures. For instance, in Romans 12, we see, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of yourself than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned him. Don't think too much of yourself. Don't think that you're better than everybody else. In our new members class, I showed the, an old clip from the Orlando Sentinel, 1997. It was talking about how everyone thinks they're going to heaven. And of course, they think it's more likely that they get to heaven than their neighbor gets to heaven. They're thinking too highly of themselves. They're not having a sober understanding of who they are in light of who God is. And when we think about Jesus, we recognize that he humbled himself, as we see in Philippians chapter 2. That's not the only place. I alluded to this earlier uh, in the worship service. 1 Peter chapter 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, not some of you, not a couple of you, but all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. So, 
not just with respect to God, which almost, in a sense, goes without saying, although because of our pride we don't always clothe ourselves with humility with respect to God, but to one another, the horizontal level. It's one another. For God opposes the proud. Boy, we need to remember that one. I don't want to fight God. I don't want God to fight me. But when I'm proud, He fights me. Just like Jacob by the Jabbok. He will humble me when I don't want to be humbled. God who opposes the proud, but thank God gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand so that at the proper time He may exalt you. It's not for us to decide when that time is. It's for Him. So let us humble ourselves. Now, I've talked about washing feet and because that's what Jesus did, but let's not get trapped into the mindset that Jesus is talking literally about washing feet. Okay. There are certain groups that have made this uh, another sacrament. If you go to a brethren church, or ever been to a brethren church, they have the annual foot washing ceremony because they believe that that's what this is talking about. And the same thing happens on Monday, Thursday in Roman Catholic churches uh, where, where bishops will wash the feet of those under them, the priests who are under them, and they think that that's what this is about. I don't think that's what this is about. Not a ceremony, but a regular part of life of serving one another humbly as needs arise. Not just something you can check off once a year or once a quarter that you've done as part of your religious worship service. This is meant to be fleshed out in daily life. It's about entering into the mess of one another's lives. Service, I believe, could be defined as love, acting to meet the needs of others in accordance with our resources. God knows what you can and cannot do. He knows how you can and cannot serve. And so He doesn't expect you to do more than you can, but He does expect you to do what you can. Because you love Him, and you love this other person who is made in the image of God. We are not, therefore, to be shocked or turned off by the other person's struggles and needs. Sometimes we hide our needs because we're afraid that people will look down upon us because of this particular need that we have. And guess what? That need only gets worse. And so I would say to you, brothers and sisters, humble yourself among one another. Let your needs be known. Not so that your brothers and sisters can lord it over you, but so that they can come in humble service 
to care for you in a loving fashion, gently, like Christ. Stop hiding those needs that need the touch not only of Christ, but of His people for your well-being. It is precisely because we have been cleansed by Christ in regeneration that we are able to, so to speak, wash the feet of others, pointing them to Christ who deals with their sins and their shame and their sorrow and their unfulfilled longings and their afflictions. Jesus continues, If you know these things, you are blessed. Some of you should have said, wait a second. Because that's not what he said. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The mere knowledge of these things is insufficient. In fact, greater is judgment if you don't act because you know to whom much has been given, much is demanded, much is required. We must practice these things in order to receive the blessing that Jesus here offers us. It is similar to when Jesus says that those who hear what He says and practice them build their house upon the rock at the end of the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 7. It's not enough merely to hear the words of Jesus, but they're intended to be put into practice in our lives to shape how we think and how we act not just to go, that makes a great bumper sticker. We do these things remembering that indeed there is a harvest. As we heard from Galatians chapter 5, do not grow weary in doing good, for there will be a harvest. There's going to be good stuff. The farmer does not say, I'm halfway done with the field. It's time to give up. He's got to persist in his labor and activity, often past the point of weariness, because he knows it's necessary for the harvest he longs for. And so we have this promise of a harvest by Paul in Galatians and this promise of a blessing by Jesus here in John 13 to encourage us when we get weary, when we grow tired, when we think, let someone else do it for a change. This is not the earning of salvation. But this is intended, I believe, by Jesus and therefore also by Paul to be a manifestation of the salvation that we express, we possess rather by faith. 
Because as we see in Galatians 5, it says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accounts for anything. We could fill all kinds of things in there instead of circumcision and uncircumcision. Black, white, rich, poor, male, female, slave, free, any of any categories you want. All of that doesn't matter. Only faith working or expressing itself through love. And that means, in part, serving those in Christ. You know, Paul says there in Galatians, serving those in need, but especially the household of God. Doesn't mean we can't serve anyone outside the household of God, but we do pay particular attention to the household of God. So it manifests the salvation that we possess by faith. Kevin Smith's sermon was, How Pro-Life Are You? And I, actually, I should have bought the CD in case anyone wanted to borrow it. But if you fi- try to find it online, if you can. And he made a lot of applications that I'm not necessarily going to go to today. Um, I guess I'll allude to one of them. He, he spoke in, about the past. He spoke particularly about the civil rights movement and era and how people like us, or most of us who are in this room, stood and watched and did nothing. And he brought us to our confessional documents. Westminster, larger catechism, number 135, which expounds upon the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not commit murder. And it, it, it says there in answer 135 that the confession calls us to certain duties, positive things. And it says in, in there, by just defense against violence. If you haven't watched the movie Selma, watch the movie Selma. Yeah, I know Hollywood sometimes does some things, but if you look at the old footage in the newsreels, you you will see that that really happened, and it should horrify you what police did. To old men and women, as well as young men and women, and people like us stood by and did not protect them from unjust violence. I have to explain this to my children someday. Included in these things are the readiness to be reconciled. That goes for both sides, a readiness to be reconciled. But then this phrase that Kevin hit upon a number of times, and he used an older version, I think, or maybe we've got the older version, because the words weren't identical, but comforting and succoring the distressed and protecting and defending the innocent. We should have served those who were suffering unjustly and unrighteously. And people like us didn't. 
I don't want this to be a big doubter. I want to commend you for this. Many of you have served one another. You have washed one another's feet, particularly in the last few months with meals, with going over to the home of a dying man and his wife and singing songs of worship. That's what it's talking about. That's good. Jesus is pleased. Your pastor is pleased. Keep going. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. And when the need presents itself, make yourself available. Because precisely He has promised blessing upon this. What is this blessing? I think part of it is increased fellowship with God, but also with one another. Because you know yourself, one another in a deeper way. You've gone a little bit behind the masks that we can wear. The images that we portray to others to see each other kind of as we are and loving each other, brother and sister, as we are. It's not just that. But if we think of it in terms of a Philippians chapter 2, with Jesus... We will be exalted. We will be honored as His people. We will hear the well done, good and faithful servant. There is blessing to be had if we follow this biblical pattern of Jesus who humbled Himself and became a slave that He might serve. In one of the books I was reading right before I went to GA, um, called Gospel Treason, uh, the author, I think it's Brad Bigney, refers uh, to something that Elise Fitzpatrick wrote, this idea of the spiritual tourist. The person who kind of shows up at church and that's about it. You know, they're, they're not serving, they're not really engaging other people, you know, they're like the last one in, the first one out, and, and, uh, and if it doesn't really, you know, move them too much, you know, they'll kind of go on to the next church and visit there for a while. It's just like, you know, going to visit other countries. You're not invested in the other country, are you? You know, when I went to Scotland, I wasn't invested in Scotland, and there were some political things that were going on. Uh, I think that was going to be the, the, the first parliament and I can't remember how many years. And it was nice to hear, but I'm not invested in it. I was a tourist. If we're tourists, if we're spiritual tourists, we're not vested in a body of believers. We're just there for the sightseeing and to hear the awesome sermon that comes every Sunday, as you know. Amen. When we're spiritual tourists, our faith stagnates because faith needs to be expressed in love. We must engage. And yes, if you're wondering, this is most of the sermon. <laughs> the rest is short. 
I'm belaboring this because I believe it is so important and it is the heart of what Jesus is getting at. And it takes up most of the verses we're looking at. And so I believe it should take up most of the time that I'm using this morning. So, Jesus gave us an example to follow that we too might be blessed by offering service in love and humility. Second point, and you're probably going, yes. Yes, a second point. He's moved on. Jesus' Jesus fulfilled word leads to faith. He He switches gears almost completely, and it's like, you should be going by now. That sounds just like Jesus. Okay? The cross once again casts its shadow through the betrayal of Judas. Because he says about this blessing that's going to come, I am not speaking of all of you. Judas has not, and he would not, serve anyone else. He wanted the money in the group purse, not so it could be given to the poor, so that he could take it and use it on himself. Judas, therefore, would not be blessed because he is doing precisely the opposite of service through his betrayal of the living God. This, according to Jesus, is not accidental. He says, the Scripture will be fulfilled. And not just a general reference to the Scriptures, but he then quotes from Psalm 41, which portrays the experience of King David. I'm reading in Samuel right now in David's life and the the betrayal that he experienced at the hands of many, many whom he lifted up the plate, so to speak. He had dinner with. The hospitality, it's not just betrayal by some guy you pass on the street. This is by your closest friends. David knew this. David experienced this. David wrote about this. And it's intended to point us to the greater betrayal by Judas of Jesus, the true king of Israel who sits on David's throne. The seed of the woman and the seed of Abraham and the seed of David in whom is the fulfillment of all God's promises. That is the one that he betrayed. This idea of the heel lifted up can mean to injure by trickery, like sticking out your leg to trip somebody. You probably couldn't see that because of the furniture in the way but I stuck my foot out as if I was tripping. Lifting that heel. It displays animosity. And remember, not all cultures are like our own culture, or cultures, because there are a few different cultures represented in this room, not just one. And many of us, if we watch the coverage, if we remember when um, Baghdad fell, What did people do when they tore down the statue? They take off their shoes and they're beating the statue with their shoes. It's not just because that's what was handy, but that was a sign of their animosity and derision because the shoe represented the foot. They were showing their hatred for the dictator 
that had been removed. Finally free to do that. Vulnerability. Judas was the one who displayed animosity, not Jesus in this instance. But don't think that Jesus is unmoved by Judas's actions. He's not stoic about this, but he's also not swallowed up by his emotions like you and I often are. He says, I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, He's preparing them for what is going to come. And and he's had to say this repeatedly because they're sort of like you and me, and it takes a while for stuff to penetrate our skulls, it seems, which is why Martin Luther says he has to pound the gospel into our minds because we so easily forget the gospel. But Jesus is not just doing that. He's also the great prophet from Deuteronomy 18, and Jesus is going to pass the test What he says here is going to come to pass so we can know that we can rely upon his word. This is about their faith and our faith because he continues that you may believe that I am. And some translations add he, and I'm not sure why. It could be an implied he, but I like the idea that I am the divine name. He wants them to believe that He is the Word of God made flesh, that He is the Lamb of God who takes away their sins, that He is the light of the world that helps them to see, that He is the Good Shepherd who gently leads them, that He is the great I Am who is all of these things and more. So Jesus reveals the future so that its fulfillment will result in greater faith for the disciples. Thirdly, Jesus sends us to speak for Him. See, Jesus wants them, and I believe by extension us as well, to really get this idea as we go into the world and make disciples. Again, He says, Whoever receives the one I send, receives me. Now, as I sat in my office this morning, and the time was running late, and I've got to go teach the new members class, one of the things that popped into my brain, which is, is this anticipating what Jesus is about to say about the Holy Spirit that he's going to send? I don't think so. It sure would preach, wouldn't it? This is about us, the people that he sends out. Because this sounds exactly like we read at the end of chapter 12. We have been cleansed by Christ. And because we've been cleansed by Christ, he sends the Holy Spirit into us, our hearts. But we have to recognize that salvation does not end with us, so to speak, because we have been sent by Jesus So if the people that hear the message receive the message, they receive Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And, he says, the one who sent me, the Father. So we've got to remember that. As as we talk to people about Christ's salvation, 
It's not as important that they receive us. What's really important is that in receiving our message, they receive the triune God. Because as John Piper noted, God is the Gospel. We're not offered mere forgiveness, but we are offered God Himself. Fellowship with God in the Gospel. And so, as we do this, we again, we point people to fulfilled prophecies like this as one reason that we believe we have a historical faith. Our history matters, which is why this is largely historical stuff that's in the Bible. The historicity of the faith matters because fulfilled prophecy is intended to lead us to faith or greater faith. This is very different than the Eastern religions, which are contemplative. There's no historical basis for what they... It's just platitudes and nice ideas. There's no bleeding, dying Savior like we have. It's just mind games. Jedi mind games. Jesus has not changed His tune. Whoever receives Me receives the one who sent me. So again, we're not just bringing them to Jesus, but we're trying to bring them to the Father so that they can know and become the sons of the living God, adopted through the work of Jesus, the unique and only Son of God. And we won't bring bring Jesus and the Father and the Spirit to someone who we don't love. And we don't care about ourselves. So I think we see, hopefully see, Paul's hymn of humiliation and exaltation is intended to shape the life and experience of not just the Philippian church, but every church. Like Jesus, we are intended to lay aside our dignity that we may serve other people, including our enemies, even if it means that we end up dying. United to Christ, we will be raised. United to Christ, we will be exalted on the last day as all will realize that He alone is Lord. And so now, you and I, we are sent out to serve and to make Jesus known. We are, as our theology says, the church militant. Not that we have guns and bombs to force people to conversion, but we are a church that is moved to love, to pray, to proclaim and to tangibly love people in need because Christ has loved us in our need. Let's pray. Father, indeed, I pray still that the light of the world would shed light on us, that we could really see ourselves for more of who we are, but even better, more of Jesus.
to see more of who He is, that our worship would deepen, that our love would deepen, that our service would deepen. Father, thank you for the ways in which uh, many of us already reflect these things we've talked about in a good way. Let us not grow weary. Strengthen us by your mighty Spirit that we might persevere in these things and even grow in these things. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.